Well, Democrats push gun control and red flag laws. We find out all about the red flag surrounding the latest mass shooter. Joe Biden's approval rating continues to sink like a stone. And Dave Rubin is suspended from Twitter for noticing that Jordan Peterson was suspended from Twitter. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Protect your online privacy today at expressvpn.com slash Ben. We'll get to all the news in just one moment. First, the news can be uncomfortable, but let me tell you something that shouldn't be uncomfortable. Your underwear. And let me tell you, the underwear that graced this fantastic took us, I'm talking about Tommy John underwear. If you can't take the heat, get out of your old stifling underwear. The only way to play it cool this summer is with Tommy John. Because when you wear Tommy John, you're that much cooler. So you can do everything better thanks to breathable, lightweight fabric with four times the stretch of competing brands. With dozens of comfort innovations, Tommy John will keep you looking and feeling cool all season long. From lounging at home to summertime fun, Tommy John's breathable, moisture-wicking fabric keeps you two to three times cooler. It dries four to five times faster than regular cotton, which is why Tommy John doesn't have customers. They have fanatics. With over 17 million pairs sold, people love their Tommy John underwear and their loungewear. It's literally the only underwear I wear. Like, I went home and I threw away all the others because Tommy John is just that good. Celebrate the 4th of July in cooling comfort and shop tommyjohn.com slash Ben right now for 20% off your very first order. Again, get 20% off right now. Tommyjohn.com slash Ben. That's tommyjohn.com slash Ben. The best underwear on the market, bar none. See site for details. Well, the entire world of the left is now consumed with the idea that gun control is the solution to all of our problems. Always, whenever there is some sort of mass shooting, the Answer is that there must be some form of violation of your Second Amendment rights as a law-abiding American citizen. And there's one problem with this. None of the measures that the left likes to propose when it comes to gun control actually would stop the mass shootings that they supposedly are attempting to stop. And this is particularly true when you look at this latest mass shooting in Highland Park. There's a much deeper thing going on in America than simple access to guns. You can say that that's a problem for people who are mentally ill, for people who are criminals. But there is something much deeper going on than just the access to the guns, because there are a lot of young men, apparently, who are deeply troubled, who are engaged in evil, and who then carry out those acts of evil on other human beings. And no matter what laws you pass, Illinois and have extraordinarily heavy gun laws, that is not going to stop these acts of evil. There is a systemic problem. There are a lot of broken minds in the United States. And until we actually start to tackle the question of why so many minds are broken in the United States, it's going to be very hard to stop additional acts of evil. Law is merely a mechanism for hemming in human evil. Well, as human evil grows, the thicket of laws is not going to hem that in. As mental illness, I'm talking violent mental illness grows, no matter what laws are in place, it's not going to hem that sort of stuff in. Because the law is typically directed at those who are likely to be deterred by the law. And when it comes to people who are either completely evil or who are violently mentally ill, the law as a, a sort of incentive structure does not apply to those people. And this is obviously true in the case of this Highland Park shooter. We now know that this Highland Park shooter was known by the police. According to The Hill, officials say the suspect in the shooting at the July 4th parade in Highland Park, Illinois, which left seven people dead, threatened to kill everyone at his house in September of 2019, leading police to arrive and confiscate the knives he had collected. Chris Cavelli is a spokesperson for the Lake County Major Crime Task Force. He did a press conference on Tuesday, and he explained that this Highland Park shooter had tons of red flags. I'm going to relay some information from two prior instances that occurred here in Highland Park. Uh, the first was in April of 2019. Uh, an individual contacted Highland Park Police Department uh, a week after learning of Mr. attempting suicide. 
this was a delayed report. So Highland Park still responded to the residents a week later, spoke with spoke with parents, and the matter was being handled by uh, mental health professionals at that time. There was no law enforcement action uh, to be taken. It was a mental health issue handled by those professionals. The second occurred in September of 2019. A family member reported that said he was going to kill everyone and had a collection of knives. The police responded to his residence. The police removed 16 knives, a dagger, and a sword from home. At that time, there was no probable cause to arrest. There were arrests. There were no complaints that uh, were signed by any of the victims. The Highland Park Police Department, however, did immediately notify the Illinois State Police of the incident. Okay, so we now that this person, we now know that this person had suicidal ideation a couple of years ago. We know that in 2019, this person threatened to kill everyone in his family. We now know that that is the case. We know the police arrived and took away this person's knives. But there's no mechanism in the law by which we actually treat the violently mentally ill. It just doesn't exist because we basically have cleaned out our mental health system. The basic idea is that we're supposed to have essentially mental health first responders. You can put somebody in involuntary commitment for 48 or 72 hour holds if they are possibly violent to themselves or others. It sound like this didn't even happen with this person. But we do not have a mechanism by which we actually keep people who are violently mentally ill off the streets, preventing them from killing innocent people. It does not exist in the United States anymore. It used to exist en masse in the 1950s and the 1960s. And then we decided that that was violative of basic individual freedoms and that the system didn't work well enough. And then we decided to basically release those people onto the streets and rely on various mental health drugs in order to hem that in. The problem is a lot of these people don't take their drugs. If you make that on a voluntary basis, a lot of people who are mentally ill don't like taking their drugs because they feel that it, it blurs sensations, that it makes them feel dampened. And so you have no mechanism for hemming this in. And if you have no mechanism for hemming this in, I'm not talking about gun control here. I'm talking about basic structures that do not exist in our society for taking care of people who are violently mentally ill and keeping them away from people who are innocent. This sort of stuff is going to happen a lot. So no red flag law would have stopped this because the red flags were everywhere. Illinois has a red flag law. This person was reported to the police. And by the way, then went and legally purchased weapons. So this person three years ago had knives removed from them by the cops. And then this person was able to go into a gun shop and apparently legally buy five firearms. According to Mediaite, police say that this person dressed as a woman, climbed atop a roof and opened fire on a 4th of July parade. Apparently the dressing as a woman has nothing to do with transgenderism or anything. He was doing this in order to avoid detection by the police. This person, there are pictures of this person online in women's getup, but not because presumably they're transgender or gender dysphoric in any way, just because they're kooky and crazy and mentally ill in some other way. The suspect apparently fired a rifle fitted with at least one high-capacity magazine into the crowd. He then fled and left the rifle behind. They found him because his DNA was on the rifle. He was arrested roughly eight hours later. So again, officers, uh, officers said on Tuesday there was no basis to prevent the shooter from purchasing the weapons. At least one firearm was purchased in 2019 after this person threatened suicide and was visited by officers. His dad reportedly sponsored the application in that particular gun purchase, which, by the way, demonstrates, again, when it comes to red flag laws and all the rest, if you don't have social structures that are designed to create responsibility in the community for those who are damaged, then people will fall through the cracks and then they'll go on to hurt 
other human beings. There's a certain level, again, just on a human level, you have to feel for the family, not just because the family has a person who is a violent killer amongst them, but because how many parents, how many relatives are willing to report their own relatives for potentially being violent threats? Now, parents tend to want to protect their own kids, but at the expense of the broader community, that is why strong community ties matter, because you have to care enough about the community that you are willing to make the moves necessary to preserve the lives of innocent people in your community, even at the expense of your own kid, if your kid happens to be violently mentally ill, as it appears that this shooter is and was. So, for example, the uncle of the shooter was on TV yesterday saying there were no warning signs. Well, I mean, we know about a few. And there was no signs of trouble. I saw no signs of trouble. And if I did see signs, I would I would say something. But I, there was no signs of trouble. And no no uh, mental problems or psychological problems in the not, past? Not that I know of, no. He, he's a real quiet kid. He keeps everything to himself, and he doesn't express himself out. So he just, like, sits down on his computer and... There's, there's no, there's no like, interaction between me and him. Okay, so it sounds like this particular uncle didn't have a lot of knowledge with the kid, but you know, parents have to notify the authorities of their kids. This has happened over and over and over again. In these mass shooter cases, it turns out that the people who are closest to the mass shooter, they tend to know that the person is really screwed up in a serious way, and they don't report it. And so the red flag laws don't mean a damn thing. And when it comes to mental health, if somebody, again, is violently mentally ill, we in this country have decided for bad reasons that you cannot involuntarily commit people who will not take their medication and are violently mentally ill. We just won't do it. We'll either put them in jail, which is not where they belong, or we'll put them in a mental institution for 48 hours and then we'll let them out, even if they are not taking the medication that would make them sane again. None of this is a solution. And all of this is going to multiply over time, not just because we have a, a massive contagion problem when it comes to mass shootings in this in this country. There's no question that that is what's happening, by the way. There's a reason why when you listen to this show, when you watch this show, when you look at my site, Daily Wire, we do not mention the names of shooters. We will not provide the impetus for contagion of these mass shootings by featuring this person's face on the news, by mentioning their name. Because it turns out that these people, a lot of the mass shooters, they're people who are desperately craving attention. That's particularly true in this case, where this person was putting out horrific, scary rap with videos of, of school shootings on YouTube in order to garner attention for himself. People want attention. And then when they get attention from the media, when they see someone else get attention, they think, oh, how can I get attention as well? And then they go out and they commit a heinous act of murder. We're not going to contribute to that. So when the media talks about how guns are the problem, I can tell you that the bigger problem when it comes to the minds of these people is the mass contagion that the media foment. How many of these media outlets are willing to look in the mirror and then commit to a I mean, the social science on this is fairly solid. How many of these media outlets, I'm talking NBC, ABC, CNN, Fox, all of them, how many of them are willing to commit to not showing you the faces of killers, are not willing to show you their names and make them famous? You know the name of the Sandy Hook shooter. You know the name of the Parkland shooter. You now know the name of this Highland Park shooter. I won't mention them on the show. The reason you know their names is because the media have decided that they are more interested in the clicks than they are in preserving human life, apparently. Because this is a pretty clear-cut case of just what media members can do to actually stop violent activities. But we've decided in the mass media age that we're not interested in what we can do anymore. We'll blame big tech for not shutting down the videos. We'll blame everybody else, but members of the media, they'll just go completely silent on this stuff and then continue to churn out coverage of people who desperately crave attention, incentivizing the next mass shooter to go out and do this sort of stuff in, in his sick mind. I say his because nearly all the time it's men. 
And then there is the, the broader, again, societal problem. And that is that as we develop into an atomized individualistic society that has no social ties to anybody else, it foments violence. It foments suicidal ideation. The broader mental health crisis that we are suffering in the United States is not a coincidence. We're a country that has basically decided that all social bonds are forms of repression of you. And that the best thing that you can do to find yourself, to find your true center, is to ignore all the roles and institutions that society has traditionally placed around you in order to provide you some sort of basis for living. We've decided instead that subjective self-worth is the only metric by which we are to decide whether human happiness has been achieved. Well, as it turns out, this actually creates more mental illness. It actually creates more confusion and chaos in the minds of young people. I do not think it is a coincidence that we have seen this rapid increase in the number of mass shootings by young people. At the same exact time, we are seeing a vast increase in the number of young people who are reporting that they are suicidal, the, a vast number of young people who are reporting that they are suffering from depression and mental illness. Those numbers are skyrocketing in the United States. And to pretend, pretend there is no association whatsoever is to ignore the, the elephant in the room. Again, the social connections, commitments, duties, things that we give kids to actually form them into civilized human beings. When you blow all those things up in the name of a broader ideology that speaks of individual self-gratification, and then a bunch of people are left behind because they can't actually either pursue that self-gratification or they are disappointed in what they wish their lives were. You're going to get more of this stuff. That doesn't mean that any particular politician is to blame for a mass shooting or anything like that. What it does mean is you cannot expect that when you put a fire under a pot of water, the water is not going to boil. And when it boils, there are going to be occasional times when the lid pops off the pot. And that is exactly what we have done culturally speaking. Well, it feels like an ugly time in America right now. One of those places where it's ugly, your budget. Well, here's the thing. If you need to get your finances under control, you probably should take a look at American financing. If you haven't looked over your budget in a while, now is a good time. Look and see what your biggest expenses are, where you can cut back, find ways to make a substantial impact. If you're a homeowner, your equity is up 20% since last year. That equity can still be accessed as cash for the things you need right now. You have to call American financing, get that free mortgage review I've been telling you about for months at this point. They're going to look at your entire financial picture from your home loan to your equity, even your high interest test. Then they will review it all and they will do everything they can to help you save up to a thousand bucks a month. That can make a massive difference given the price of goods and services right now. Even if your credit ain't great, just call them and see what they can do for you. What's the worst that happens? It only takes 10 minutes to learn more when you call 866-721-3300. That's 866-721-3300 or visit AmericanFinancing.net and find out your financial options. NMLS 182334, Again, check out AmericanFinancing.net right now. Find out your financial options and rough financial time. Give them a call, 866-721-3300. That's 866-721-3300. Now, the West right now is experiencing a mass, a, a mass mental illness problem. A few years ago, there was a woman named Leah Greenfield, professor over at Boston University. She wrote a piece for the Wall Street Journal. It was actually in May titled The West's Struggle for Mental Health. And here's what she wrote. She wrote, quote, the more a society is dedicated to the value of equality and the more choices it offers for individual self-determination, the higher its rates of functional mental illness. These rates increase in parallel with the increase in the available occupational, geographical, religious, gender, and lifestyle-related choices. This explains why, since the 1970s, the U.S. leads the world as the country most affected by functional mental illness, though other prosperous liberal democracies aren't far behind. So there are lots of reasons for violence between young men, and violence between young men has been the way of the world since literally the Stone Age. 
when young males are aggressive, they have testosterone, they fight each other. But there is a difference in kind between the aggressive male instinct, taking it out on each other, which is what you see in gang warfare, not just in the United States, but across the world. There's a difference between that and the mentally ill loner who is going out and trying to gun down innocent people. That is going to multiply as you increase the number of mentally ill loners who are out there. And if you are a society that is dedicated to the idea of loneliness and you remove all of the boundaries around young men, you're going to get more of this. You simply will. And to pretend that there is no relationship between the two is whistling past the graveyard almost literally. It's a, it's a, it's a tragic reality and a tragic outgrowth of a society that has, in many ways, lost its way. If we, are, if we are just talking about mass shootings by young men against innocent people, then let's talk about that. Because the reality is, if you want to talk about vast gun crime or whatever, you're committing a category error. Not all, quote-unquote, gun crime is committed the same. Gang warfare is not the same thing as a school shooting. And pretending that all those problems are solved simply by railing about guns is missing the point. If you're actually going to target this specific problem, we have to talk about this specific problem, which is violently, mentally ill young men isolated from society who are going out and murdering innocent people. And then you have to look at the forces that are actually militating on behalf of those young men and preventing people from doing anything about it and incentivizing people to do nothing about it. Because again, the laws ain't working. There are plenty of red flags here and it didn't solve the problem. It didn't solve the problem. And by the way, that's not just me saying that. Right? Andy McCabe, who's a far leftist, right? Andy McCabe was working for the FBI. He was one of the people involved in Russiagate, former FBI deputy director who sort of had to resign in shame. He is right, however. He's on CNN. He said, red flag laws weren't going to do anything here. You know, there's been a lot of excitement over the fact that the recent uh, national legislation provides incentive to the states to institute red flag laws. Well, if we have a situ and yet another situation where we have a mass shooter who was putting out plenty of signals that possibly his network of associates and family knew about, but yet no word was ever passed on to law, law enforcement really calls into question how effective can these red flag laws possibly be? Well, this is the question. This is the question. And that question is not going to be answered by anybody who's actually promoting legislation. Thankfully, we have the federal administration, the Biden White House, that is pushing ineffective policy and pretending that they have solutions to these sorts of problems. And it comes in the form of Kamala Harris, the least talented politician of her generation who has failed upward in every job she's ever been given. Here she was speaking on the shooting yesterday. Um, we got to take this stuff seriously, as seriously as you are, because you have been forced to have to take it seriously. The whole nation should understand and have a level of empathy to understand that this can happen anywhere in any peace-loving community. And we should stand together and speak out. Man, she is just a word salad of a human being. Well, all of this, this feeling of chaos, this feeling that there are no stable social standards, the feeling that so much of, a, of, of what we are in the country and what we are as a civilization is collapsing in about us and that the person who's supposed to be standing between us and the monsters is a geriatric dotard. And there's a reason why Joe Biden's approval rating right now is just brutal. So brand new Monmouth poll out yesterday. Joe Biden's approval rating. This is in the aftermath, by the way, of the Roe versus Wade overruling. So you would have expected a spike for Joe Biden since he is fighting the Supreme Court and we all love abortion and all the rest of it. Joe Biden's approval rating, according to Monmouth, is 36%. He is 23 points underwater. 23 points underwater. These are worse approval ratings than, than Donald Trump during his presidency. By the way, that is not an outlying poll. Harvard Harris has him at 38%. Emerson has him at 40. Rasmussen has him at 41 Reuters has him at 38. Economist has him at 39. 
This dude cannot break 40% with a jackhammer. And when, it, when you look to the state polls, it's, it's significantly worse, by the way. In Arizona, he is riding at 26% approval rating. Georgia, 26%. Nevada, 29%. Pennsylvania, 30%. Iowa, 30%. New Mexico, 31%. Michigan, 32%. Wisconsin, 33%. Remember, he won Michigan and Wisconsin. Michigan, 32%. Wisconsin, 33%. New Jersey, 34%. New Jersey. New Hampshire, he's at 35%. He is in a world of hurt. And, the, and, and there are a bunch of reasons for this. The most obvious is that Americans really are struggling with inflation and with the economy, but it also is the feeling that this dude does not have a handle on anything. He does not represent a unifying vision for the country in any way, shape, or form. He does not have any central worldview that coheres. All he is is a basket of leftist policy priorities rammed through over the objections of the American people. All the Democrats, by the way, who right now are saying that abortion is going to jog them to victory in November, man, they're they just delusional. According to that Monmouth poll, more than four in 10 Americans, 42%, say they're struggling to remain where they are financially. This is the first time since Monmouth started asking the question five years ago, the number even topped three in 10. Just under half, 47%, say their current financial situation is basically stable. Only 9% say it is improving. Nearly half the public names either inflation, 33%, or gas prices as the biggest concern facing their family right now. The economy in general is at 9%. Paying everyday bills is at 6%, which means the total... You're talking 48, 57, 63% of Americans say the economy is their top concern. Abortion is named by 5% as their top concern, predominantly Democrats, 9%. So yeah, you guys are, um, you're in serious, serious trouble. Because as it turns out, you're not making people's lives better. Joe Biden is less popular than a really, really bad case of food poisoning. But if you need to make your life better, not worse, I will tell you one way to do that is to have great employees like Jacob. You know, we have our stream that goes out on time every day. And that is because of Jacob. That's like the only reason it goes out on time. You know how we got Jacob? I will tell you, ZipRecruiter.com. And you can do the same for your business. Now, outstanding talent is crucial for a successful business. If you're hiring, you can find talent for roles like these and more at ZipRecruiter when you try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. ZipRecruiter uses its powerful technology to find and match the right candidates up with your job. You can easily review these recommended candidates and invite your top choices to apply. Additionally, ZipRecruiter has a complete suite of tools that makes it easy to filter, review, and rate your candidates. Four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the very first day. No wonder. ZipRecruiter is the number one rated hiring site based on G2 satisfaction ratings as of January 1, 2022. So travel to this easy-to-remember web destination, ZipRecruiter.com slash DailyWire. That's where you can try ZipRecruiter for free and find great employees like Jacob, who also is the only other person at Daily Wire who wears a yarmulke. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash D-A-I-L-Y-W-I-R-E. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. And by the way, the inflation stats that we are following are significantly better than what the actual inflation experience is like for the vast majority of Americans. Henry Olson has a really good piece over at the Washington Post talking about this today. He says, quote, if you're having trouble grasping why inflation is so politically potent, consider that Americans who enjoyed a 4th of July cookout on Monday paid 17% more for their food than last year, according to a survey from the American Farm Bureau Federation. Now, you'll remember that the Biden administration last year put out a graphic saying that you had saved something like 11 cents on your meal on 4th of July. Look at what a wonderful job we are doing in bringing down costs. Well, now Americans are paying 17% more for that 4th of July meal. That's a perfect illustration of a poorly understood aspect of inflation. For most Americans, the inflation they actually experience is much worse than the 8.6% headline rate. The official government inflation rate comes from the Consumer Price Index. That measures the prices of a basket of goods that reflect the overall annual consumption of items and services an average urban household pays for. 
As a national average, it can never reflect what a particular household faces in any particular city. It assumes the average family purchases all these goods and services in the same quantities, but that isn't true. It unintentionally hides how high inflation is for millions of people. Prices for the goods people regularly purchase are rising much faster than for the things they don't. Food used at home, for example, rose by 12% over the past year. Gas prices jumped 50%. Prices for eggs skyrocketed 32% in the last year. Those categories are less than 20% of the overall consumer price index, but they are the products that people buy every single week. As a result, the political impact of these double-digit increases is likely to be worse than that of infrequently purchased goods, like visits to the doctor. Even some of the goods people don't often purchase likely produce extreme inflation anxiety for most households. Most people don't move, for example. The majority of those who have stayed past in the, in the last year likely have mortgages whose repayment amounts don't fluctuate. But those who did buy a new home almost surely experienced massive sticker shock. The same is true for people who bought a new or used car in the past year. So inflation is much worse than Joe Biden is letting on for the vast majority of people. And this administration, as always, seems to be operating in a completely different sphere than the rest of us. So back to Kamala Harris, the nation's most inspirational politician picked specifically because of her intersectional qualifications, certainly not because she's very good at this. Here she was trying to talk about inflation yesterday. We, first of all, need to, to deal with it. And the president and our administration, we have been in terms of being probably one of our highest priorities, which is to bring down gas prices and to deal with the cost of living, um, in, including what has been happening um, with prices uh, on, on various goods that are almost directly related to a pandemic that impacted the supply chain in a profound way. Russians, Russia's and Putin's war in Ukraine and what that has meant in terms of gas and oil. And so we're working on bringing down basically the cost of, of what life requires for people. Man, she's still going with Putin in the pandemic. We are now in July of 2022. This pandemic has been effectively over for the vast majority of Americans for fully a year because the vaccines got tranched out in March of 2021. And she's still talking about how we're paying too much at the grocery because of supply chain problems due to the pandemic. She's still talking about Putin's price hike and all this nonsense. It's not going to work. And it's particularly not going to work when Americans are having to tap into their savings to cope with inflation. According to the Wall Street Journal, Americans are starting to dip into the huge pile of savings they accumulated over the first two years of the pandemic. From the start of the pandemic to the end of 2021, U.S. households built up $2.7 trillion in extra savings, according to Moody's. COVID-19 lockdowns kept people at home with nowhere to spend money. Three rounds of stimulus payments boosted their incomes. Now, with inflation at its highest point in decades and wage gains trailing behind, Americans are turning to that stash to cover their costs. The personal saving rate, a measure of how much money people have left over after spending in taxes, reached 5.4% in May. That figure is below the average of the last decade. It is far below the record of 34% in April 2020, according to the Bureau of Economic Analysis. Families are tapping about $114 billion of their pandemic savings so far, and it's likely to get worse. Meanwhile, the price of gas continues to spike, and this administration continues to laugh. So it is, it is truly amazing how committed this administration is to the idea that oil and natural gas are just bad. So Pete Buttigieg was asked yesterday on Neil Cavuto's show on Fox News. He is the transportation secretary who is so useless that he went completely missing for two months and no one even knew it. He was on paternity leave because it was very important. Anyway, Pete Buttigieg, who, again, was like, where's Waldo? He was just gone and no one cared. Now he's back. He's done such a crappy job that we still have massive supply chain bottlenecks. And we still don't know, by the way, where any of that massive transportation bill stimulus boondoggle, we don't know where that money's going. Anyway, Pete Buttigieg, he tried to explain why gas prices are so high and, uh, and laughed about it in the process, which is always good luck. 
a major oil producing country launched uh, a war of aggression and destabilized uh, so much of the world economy when they did. Uh, but half of the so many things Wait a minute. The second half that. of that increase started prior to the first Russian soldiers arriving near Ukraine. You can't blame it all on the Ukraine, right? What about the other half? Well, that <laughs> no, was, what about the other half? No, that's that, a, that's that, a pretty that, important that, half. So that's about half of it. What about the other half? And Buttigieg starts laughing about it, of course. Well, the reason that he's laughing about it is because this administration's stated policy is to make gas expensive. This is their stated policy. Literally this week, according to the United Press International, Biden proposed to block offshore drilling in the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans. This This is his actual proposal. We're in the middle of a massive gas shortage. And this idiot is attempting to block offshore drilling. Quote, the Biden administration has proposed blocking all new drilling, all of it, in the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans, but will allow some drilling in the Gulf of Mexico in a five-year development plan. The plan released on Friday proposed no more than 10 potential lease sales in the Gulf of Mexico, an option for one potential lease sale in the northern portion of the Cook Inlet of Alaska, and no lease sales for the Atlantic or Pacific planning areas anywhere from 2023 to 2028. And then Joe Biden has the gall to explain to individual gas station owners that it's their fault that the gas prices are high? By the way, gas stations don't make their money from the gas. You should know. As a general rule, the price margin on gas is extremely low. It's from all the other stuff that the gas stations make their money. It's when you go inside and you buy a Snickers bar. That's where they actually make their cash. Most of the gas stations are getting it from a few refiners. The number of refiners in the United States has been dropping dramatically since the 1970s, specifically because of the crap environmental policy that the left has pushed. And then we're shocked when there are shortages. By the way, you know who knows this? The Europeans. The Europeans know this. Hilariously, the Europeans are now on the, they are now on the verge of declaring that natural gas is actually green energy. So we have been told by the left, by this administration, that natural gas is bad. Now, the reality is natural gas is very, very good. Okay, fracking has brought down the carbon emissions of the United States markedly over the course of the last 10 years. Natural gas is significantly less carbon unfriendly than, for example, coal or oil. Okay, but we have been told by the environmental left that we are supposed to ignore all of that because Greta is super mad. Greta is so angry at you. Greta, by the way, is very angry at this. The Europeans are now, again, considering whether nuclear and natural gas ought to be labeled green sources of energy. And, um, and the scoldy, the scoldy Claude from Sweden, she said, tomorrow, the European Parliament will decide whether fossil gas and nuclear will be considered sustainable in the EU taxonomy. But no amount of lobbyism and greenwashing will ever make it green. We need desperately real renewable energy, not false solutions. Hashtag not my taxonomy. How dare you? How dare you? Well, the moron Europeans who followed her down the primrose, uh, primrose path to a Russian gas dependency, they're finally breaking their dependency on the scoldy Swedish teen. And they have decided... According to the New York Times, in a landmark vote for Europe's climate and energy policies, lawmakers said on Wednesday, some gas and nuclear energy projects should be considered green and receive access to cheap loans and even state subsidies. You see, the Europeans have gone further than we have on the environmental front, and this is why they are now completely dependent on Vladimir Putin pumping them oil. A European Parliament meeting in Strasbourg, France, voted in favor of accepting a proposal by the European Commission, the EU executive, with 328 votes backing the proposal, 278 against both inside the parliamentary chambers and outside the building, detractors of the policy booed in protest. The commission's proposal to label gas and nuclear as green is part of a broader new EU law that classifies various types of energy investments as environmentally friendly and lays out detailed rules on how to assess them. The policy, known as the taxonomy, is meant to stop greenwashing, the pervasive practice of mislabeling energy products as environmentally friendly. 
It would also give the bloc, which brings together 27 industrialized and wealthy nations, added wiggle room as it scrambles to replace Russian energy sources in its effort to penalize the Kremlin for its invasion of Ukraine this year. But the classification remains controversial in environmental circles. Yes, because the Europeans decided that they weren't going to be held hostage to the idiot Greens. Critics of the proposal contend the attempt to classify gas and nuclear projects as green isn't in itself greenwashing and runs counter to European efforts to slash carbon emissions by 55% by 2030 and reach carbon neutrality by 2050. So while the Europeans are loosening up their own energy policy, Joe Biden is tightening America's energy policy. When asked about this sort of stuff, Karine Jean-Pierre, who's just an utterly untalented press secretary. I mean, Jen Psaki, she lied with fluidity. Maybe Karine Jean-Pierre is a more honest person. Maybe. I mean, I'm trying to explain why she's so much worse at this than, than Jen Psaki is. Her, her typical move is the I know nothing move. So she was asked specifically about a conversation that was held between Emmanuel Macron and Joe Biden who was caught on a hot mic in Europe last week. And that conversation, Macron said to Joe Biden, you can't keep going to OPEC and asking for more oil. They can't pump any more oil. She was asked about this. And uh, she's like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. There's video of the French president running up to President Biden and, and relaying a message saying that the Saudis are about at capacity uh, through the UAE. Um, did President Biden ask the French to ask the Saudis to pump more oil through the UAE? Uh, I did not hear this conversation, so I can't speak to that conversation. She can't. She doesn't know. She doesn't know. By the way, among other things she doesn't know, apparently she was asked yesterday about the simple fact that according to the Daily Wire, millions of barrels of oil Joe Biden released from the U.S. Strategic Petroleum Reserve found their way to European and Asian nations, including China, according to a Tuesday report from Reuters. Reuters found through customs data, at least 5 million barrels of oil were exported to Europe and Asia last month as the Strategic Reserve drains to its lowest level since 1986. American oil refiner Phillips 66 shipped 470,000 barrels of sour crude from Texas to Italy. While Atlantic Trading and Marketing, a division of the French entity Total Energies, exported two cargoes of 560,000 barrels each. Meanwhile, industry sources told the outlet more crude oil was sent to China, India, and the Netherlands. So, Karine Jean-Pierre, do you have any idea why we are shipping oil from the Strategic Reserve to China? The answer, of course, is no. She doesn't know anything. More than 5 million barrels of oil that were released from the emergency oil reserves were exported to Europe and Asia last month, and some of it reportedly was actually heading to China. Uh, is the administration aware of those reports? And um, you know, does, it, does the president mind that some of this oil that was meant to uh, ease pain for consumers is headed overseas? I have not seen that report, so I would honestly have to go look into it and see what what the truth is in that in that uh, statement that you just laid out and see exactly what's happening. I, I just have not seen that report. I wonder why this administration is so wildly unpopular. By the way, the only thing holding up the economy of the United States right now is all the states Joe Biden hates. According to the Wall Street Journal, red states are winning the post-pandemic economy. Well, we've known this for a while. I've been citing you unemployment stats state by state since the middle of the pandemic. And it's been obvious that the best states for the economy are all red states that didn't lock down their economies. It is blue states that lock down their economies and have heavy regulations and have heavy taxation. All of those states are lagging far behind. According to the Wall Street Journal, the pandemic has changed the geography of the American economy. By many measures, red states, those that lean Republican, have recovered faster economically than Democratic-leaning blue ones, with workers and employers moving from the coast to the middle of the country and Florida. Hmm. 
Beth Santis. Since February 2020, the month before the pandemic began, the share of all U.S. jobs located in red states has grown by more than half a percentage point, according to an analysis of Labor Department data by the Brookings Institution. The Brookings Institution is a left-wing think tank. Red states have added 341,000 jobs over that time. Blue states were still short 1.3 million jobs as of May. So the red states actually picked up jobs since the beginning of the pandemic. The blue states are still 1.3 million jobs below where they were at the beginning of the pandemic. Several major companies have recently announced moves of their headquarters from blue to red states. By the way, that includes the Daily Wire, which moved from Los Angeles to Tennessee, and we have a branch in Florida as well. Hedge fund company Citadel said it would move its headquarters from Chicago to Miami. Caterpillar is moving from Illinois to Texas. Moody's Analytics developed an index of 13 metrics, including the value of goods and services produced, employment, retail sales, and new home listings. 11 of the 15 states with the highest readings through mid-June were red. Eight of the bottom 10 were blue. Behind those differences is mass migration. 46 million people moved to a different zip code in the year February 20 uh, through February 2022. That is the most in any 12-month period in records going back to 2010. The states that gained the most. And the places, the death traps. Oh, the horror escapes. The fascist states. Which ones gained the most? Florida, Texas, North Carolina. Hmm. Yes, well, it's a good thing that the red states exist. Otherwise, Joe Biden's economy would completely collapse in on itself. But don't worry, Joe Biden's bad policy doesn't stop there. He has now decided to sick his DOJ on Arizona because Arizona wants to use voter ID for voting. We'll get to that in just a moment. Well, folks, hope you all had an amazing 4th of July with friends and family. Sadly, the days of saving 16 whole cents on our cookouts like we did last year, those are in the rearview mirror, but there's still a lot to celebrate. Here at The Daily Wire, we are celebrating the birth of Daily Wire Plus. So what is Daily Wire Plus, aside from an amazing way to troll the failure of CNN Plus? Well, basically, it's everything you love from The Daily Wire. It's like all my content. It's this podcast. It's debunked. It's the book club. It's the search. It's everything from Matt Walsh, including his brand new documentary. It's Michael Knowles' execrable show. It's Andrew Clavin and it's Candace Owens, plus so much more. And we are talking about now the entirety of Jordan Peterson's existing archive podcast, new shows and bonus content, plus a new series from PragerU out this fall, plus fearless documentaries and movies like What is a Woman? Gina Carano's Terror on the Prairie, plus soon animated kids shows without the woke agenda. I'm particularly pumped about Jordan's brand new four-part series, Dragons, Monsters, and Men. It is streaming right now exclusively over at Daily Wire Plus. So you can't get Jordan over on Twitter because they banned him because he said true things. Well, you can get as much Jordan Peterson as you could possibly imagine over at Daily Wire Plus. In Dragons, Monsters, and Men, Jordan explores what it really means to be a man and explains how to slay the dragons in your life and truly excel. Here's a little taste. One of the things I tell young men, well, and young women as well, but the young men really need to hear this more, I think. You should be a monster, an absolute monster, and then you should learn how to control it. So a man who's capable of aggression but has it under control is a way more useful man than one who cannot do that. And so you're willing to go get a job, but you're terrified of an interview. It's like, there's a dragon for you. Because you want to fight the dragons that guard the gates of the treasure that you wish to attain. And productivity requires aim, orientation, responsibility, discipline that willingness to work, that willingness to make sacrifices, which is the hallmark of maturity in the service of a higher goal. It orients you solidly in the world if you do that, and it gives you a dragon to fight. What do you want to grow up? You want to be illiterate? You want to be inarticulate? You're going to have to negotiate. You're going to have to lead. You're going to have to convince. You're going to have to think to say to an 18-year-old, you're okay the way you are, that just deflates them. 
you know, when you go to the gym and you start lifting weights, well, your body's going to transform, but it's not going to do that if you just sit around. You have to face your being with the necessity of transformation, and then all sorts of new things that you had no idea you were capable of will make themselves manifest. Those are the dragons, you know, the ones that stand in the path that leads to the light. And you have to say to yourself, I will do good nonetheless. Everyone great makes that decision. Make that decision, because maybe you're great. There's already tons to watch on Daily Wire Plus, but like Jordan Peterson, we're just getting started. You can expect to see a lot more in the future. Become a Daily Wire Plus member today. Watch Dragons, Monsters, and Men, and so much more. And if you go to dailywireplus.com right now, you get 35% off your brand new membership. That is the deal of the year right there. Dailywireplus.com today. You're listening to the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. So the Biden administration, apparently in a weird quest, to completely destroy its own credibility on every score. So they've destroyed their credibility on the economy. They've destroyed their credibility on social policy. They're also looking to destroy their credibility on, for example, immigration and voting. So now the Biden administration is sicking the DOJ on Arizona. They're saying the state violates federal law by requiring proof of citizenship to vote for president. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's crazy. They're going to lose that lawsuit, by the way. The DOJ has limited resources, so they're not going to track down, apparently, all the people who are firebombing pro-life clinics. But they are definitely, definitely going to go after the state of Arizona for the great crime of requesting that you show ID when you vote for president of the United States so we don't have people illegally voting. That would be super bad, according to the DOJ. The Wall Street Journal reports in its latest challenge to Republican-backed changes to state voting procedures, the Justice Department said that Arizona's newly enacted requirement that residents provide documentary proof of citizenship would keep eligible voters from participating in certain federal elections. The state law is set to take effect in January. Quote, it turns back the clock by imposing unlawful and unnecessary requirements that would block eligible voters from the registration rolls, said Kristen Clark, head of the DOJ's Civil Rights Division, which is the weaponized form of the DOJ on behalf of leftism. This has been true since the Obama administration. Clark called Arizona's House Bill 2492, which requires proof of citizenship to vote by mail in any federal election, a textbook violation of the 1993 National Voter Registration Act, a provision requiring election officials to reject Registration forms based on mistakes that aren't relevant to a voter's eligibility also violates the 1964 Civil Rights Act. But hold on. It's now it's now illegal to ask people to show that they are citizens when they vote. It requires proof of citizenship, like a passport or a birth certificate on a federal voter registration form. Voting rights advocates warned such a measure could disenfranchise tens of thousands of voters. State lawmakers who wrote the bill said it's aimed at curbing fraud. I'm, I'm so confused as to why this is remotely controversial. Why is showing a birth certificate so that we know you are who you say you are a big deal? It's, it's pretty amazing. In 2013, the Supreme Court did reject an earlier attempt by the state to impose similar proof of citizenship requirements for federal elections, saying such a mandate interfered with Congress's prerogative to set election laws. However, Mark Burnovich, Republican, Arizona Attorney General, he says, I'll see you in court again. He said he was prepared to defend the new law all the way to the Supreme Court and defeat the federal government's efforts to interfere with our state's election safeguards. So again, the Biden administration suing people so that they don't have to show ID when they vote by mail is pretty amazing stuff. So wide open Southern border. And also we don't want people to show ID when they vote. Sounds like great, great policy. Meanwhile, 
Joe Biden's personal popularity continues to sink, largely because people know that he is not the person he was purported to be. So Joe Biden was supposed to be the most, he was, he was Scranton Joe, you know, Uncle Joe. He was, he was the blue collar guy. And, and all of the sins of his son, Hunter, who was running around the world picking up bags of cash while snorting cocaine off hookers' asses, you know, that, all of that had nothing to do with Joe Biden. He didn't know anything about it. Well, now it turns out that Joe Biden actually knew about it. According to the New York Post, Joe Biden called his son Hunter in late 2018 to discuss a New York Times article detailing the younger Biden's dealings with the Chinese oil tycoon accused of economic crimes, telling him, I think you're clear, according to a report last week. The voicemail discovered on a cell phone backup contained on Hunter Biden's infamous discarded laptop would appear to contradict Biden's continued denial he ever talked with his disgraced 52-year-old son about his overseas business transactions and was aware they could be improper. Hey, pal, it's dad, Joe Biden said. It's 8.15 on Wednesday night. If you get a chance, just give me a call. Nothing urgent. I just wanted to talk to you. I thought the article released online, it's going to be printed tomorrow in the Times, was good. I think you're clear. And anyway, if you get a chance, give me a call. I love you. So Joe Biden, by the way, said, the next year, I've never spoken to my son about his overseas business dealings. So Corrine Jean-Pierre was asked about this. And of course, she had no answer because there is no answer. Why is there a voicemail of the president talking to his son about his overseas business dealings if the president has said he's never spoken to his son about his overseas business dealings? Well, first, I'll say that uh, what the president said stands. So. If he, if that's what the president said, that he, that is what stands. And He's second, secondly, New York Times article but secondly, concerning Hunter secondly, Biden's business dealings, and he says, "I think you're clear." How is that not him talking to his son about his overseas business dealings? We're not from this podium. I am not going to talk about alleged materials from the laptop. So I are will. I am not. Voice on the I am not going to talk about alleged materials on the laptop. Are it's you not happening. Then that it is not. Peter, I refer you. To, uh, to his son's representative. To his son's representative, but it's him who's on the voicemail. Yes, the American people are, yes, we, we should definitely trust this guy. By the way, the, this entire administration, which is based on the notion that they have some sort of high-level moral superiority, I'm, I'm waiting to see it, like really demonstrated at some point here. I mean, they can't even generate moral superiority on the basis of being pro-institutions. Corinne Jean-Pierre, again, unbelievably untalented press secretary. Jen Psaki would have handled this much, much better. Karine Jean-Pierre is just bad at this. I mean, there's just, she's terrible. Anyway, Karine Jean-Pierre was asked why it is that January 6th was insurrectionary, but Joe Biden and the Democratic Party basically encouraging people to go to justices' houses in order to threaten them to not overturn Roe versus Wade, why that was okay. She has no answers, of course. What's the difference between President Trump not doing anything while the Capitol was being attacked and President Biden not doing anything while protesters, uh, while the Supreme Court justices were under attack in their own homes with their families and with their children? Well, I, there, there are two major differences here. Uh, first of all, the, our predecessor, <laughs> uh, was very, uh, we have said that his behavior on that day, um, on January 6th, was atrocious. Uh, the president has said that. We are talking about a very dark day that the person who was here before us, seemingly, if you watch, was very involved. So that's very, very different. Okay, she didn't actually explain why it was different. She didn't actually explain anyway why it was different. I mean, Jen Psaki from that same podium basically encourage people to go outside justices' houses. So, um, no, they have no answers on any of this stuff, which may be the reason why the entire Democratic Party is now looking at Joe Biden and saying, you are just driving us directly into the ground. The Democrats have a massive problem on their hands. 
That massive problem comes in the form of the non-sentient body of an 80-year-old president who cannot get it together. There are a bevy of pieces out there. Like the groundswell is beginning. And if Democrats get shellacked in November, wait for the movement to start to oust this guy. Now, the question is on behalf of whom? And they keep talking about who? Kamala Harris? She's awful. Kamala Harris is the worst single politician I have ever seen. And I have covered Hillary Clinton, among other people. She, she makes Hillary Clinton look like Winston Churchill. It's amazing how bad Kamala Harris is. Pete Buttigieg, Pete Buttigieg, he might be able to, to win a high school debate contest, but he ain't winning any states of major national popularity outside of like New York and California in a presidential election. Who else they got? Gavin Newsom. Gavin Newsom, by the way, is hilarious. They, they're now pushing Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, who is so bad that he drove businesses like mine out of his state and then ran commercials to us here in Florida trying to tell us to come back. Yeah, good luck, dude. Gavin Newsom, who ate at the French Laundry in the middle of the pandemic, his state currently, because of Gavin Newsom, has a travel ban on employees using state dollars in order to visit 22 separate states because they're not pro-LGBTQ plus minus divided by sign tilde enough. They're, they're, they're not pro all of that agenda enough. That includes the state of Montana. Where is Gavin Newsom vacationing right now, today? Montana. Because these people are all hypocrites. I look forward to seeing Gavin Newsom in Miami enjoying the beaches and the freedom over here in Florida, just like all of his other Democratic predecessors. So who do they got waiting in the wings? The answer is nobody. And so they're just railing at the wind at this point. According to Politico, however, Dems wonder if Biden can rise to the moment. This is their lead today. Quote, is President Joe Biden meeting the moment? That's the question driving the political zeitgeist as some of the loudest members of the Democratic Party vent their frustrations to major news outlets. The gist of their complaints, Biden and Democrats need a vibe shift fast. They want the president to reflect their anger and angst. They want him to project strength and that he has a plan for meaningful action. Well, he can't project, he can project like irritation, like Metamucil-based irritation. That he can project. The kind of like, yeah, well, get off my lawn. Like that he can do. But but no. Project strength. The dude can't stand up straight for more than 45 seconds. That he has a plan for meaningful action. He does not. They want him to pick fights at the right time with the right opponents. Messaging on themes that get reinforced time and again. But he can't do that. And they feel all of this is missing from the White House right now. According to Politico, there are currently three big stories on this. First, Christopher Catalego and Jonathan Lemire report on the differences between Biden's response to the mass shooting in Highland Park on Independence Day and that of Democratic Governor J.B. Pritzker, whose name is popping up more and more in conversations about 2024. By the way, J.B. Pritzker was just a giant Democratic donor who basically paid his way into the Illinois gubernatorial slot. He's a bad governor. The comparison, quote, where Pritzker demanded that people make politics of the moment as grisly as it may be, the president initially made just passing reference to the shooting. Later on the South Lawn, he said Biden has more work to do and called for a moment of silence. We've got to get this under control, Biden said. Perhaps no issue better encapsulates the Biden administration's viewpoint and tactics than how it has chosen to tackle the epidemic of gun violence. The president makes no secret of his bolder legislative ambitions, but those efforts have been stymied by Republicans in Congress, and he has had to balance dueling demands, righteous indignation of fellow Democrats, and the plotting incremental progress that comes with bipartisan compromise. Meanwhile, the Washington Post, Ashley Parker, and Matt Visor write that Democrats continue to grow impatient with the Biden approach which they describe as a mix of scolding Republicans, urging Americans to vote Democrat, and voicing broad optimism about the country. Quote, as the Democrats' rank and file thirst for a more combative attitude becomes increasingly evident, other party leaders are beginning to showcase an alternative tone, one that goes far more sharply at Republican attitudes and tactics. Along with Pritzker, they point to Gavin Newsom, who ran an ad in Florida on Monday knocking Ron DeSantis's policies. Adam Gentleson inaptly named former top aide to Harry Reid. Quote, there is a leadership vacuum right now. 
Biden's not filling it. And meanwhile, CNN's Edward Isaac Tavir has a dishy piece on the fatalistic mood among Dems, both inside the White House and out. The big picture. Rudderless, aimless, and hopeless is how one member of Congress described the White House. Two dozen leading Democratic politicians and operatives, as well as several within the West Wing, tell CNN they feel this goes far deeper than questions of ideology and posture. Instead, they said it gets to questions of basic management. So here is the biggest problem here. The Democrats are perceiving this as a problem of personality. It is not a problem of personality. Joe Biden is just a reflective surface for the Democratic Party. He has been this his entire career. Joe Biden is not a thought leader in any way, shape, or form. He is a trial balloon sometimes from time to time, like on same-sex marriage for Barack Obama. Other than that, Joe Biden has always reflected the center of his party. So when he moves to the left, it's because the Democratic Party has moved to its left, and he is now reflecting that. So if they don't like what they are seeing in terms of his approval ratings, they ought to look in the mirror because he reflects them, and the American people don't like any of that stuff. Okay, and other piece of news that I just have to mention here, Dave Rubin has now been suspended from Twitter. He's been suspended for the great crime of noticing that Jordan Peterson was suspended from Twitter. So Jordan has been banned from Twitter. By the way, folks, if you want Jordan Peterson, you need to go over to Daily Wire Plus. Jordan has tons of material there. We're talking like all of his speeches. We're talking a brand new series, Dragons, Monsters, and Men. It is Jordan, like completely unpacked over at Daily Wire Plus. Head on over to Daily Wire Plus right now and subscribe. I mean, the reason you need to go there is that you don't have to worry about big tech censoring Jordan. You want full uncensored Jordan, head on over to Daily Wire Plus right now and become a subscriber. So you'll recall that last week, Jordan Peterson was suspended from Twitter for noting that Elliot Page was actually Ellen Page, that she changed her name because we use biological pronouns here on the Ben Shapiro Show because those are the only pronouns that convey actual information about human beings. And, um, and Ellen Page is a woman who changed her name to Elliot Page and then got a bunch of surgeries to make her look more like a man. Jordan noted this, and he was banned from Twitter for that. Then Dave Rubin, we now have like a daisy chain of, of bannings. Dave Rubin then noted that Jordan Peterson had been banned. He tweeted, quote, the insanity continues at Twitter. Jordan Peterson has been suspended for this tweet about Ellen Page. He just told me he will, quote, never delete the tweet, paging Elon Musk. So he was suspended on Twitter for this. And that, that, so for mentioning that Jordan tweeted about Ellen Page, which Jordan did, he was banned because you're not allowed to, it's like Voldemort. You're never allowed to say Ellen Page. If you say Ellen Page, Voldemort will show up on your doorstep. Whereas transgender ideology violates all science, biology. It violates the basic norms of logic. And apparently it violates physics. You're supposed to be able to go back in time now and erase the fact that Ellen Page ever existed. You want to talk about female erasure? There was never a woman named Ellen Page. There was always a male named El Elliot Page who didn't exist until five minutes ago, but was not, that was not a woman. When you were watching Juno, the story of a young pregnant girl. What you were actually watching was a pregnant man named Elliot Page who looked exactly like a girl because, you know, was a girl. You didn't know Elliot Page was the star of Juno because Elliot Page didn't exist yet. But now, because we have a time machine, the trans time machine, Elliot Page is now the star of Juno. Elliot Page starred in Inception. And in fact, George, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, his romantic interest in Elliot Page was actually a homosexual love affair. And I don't know if you know that. That was the subtext right there. It may have been buried so deep that you didn't notice it in Inception. And when Joseph Gordon-Levitt kissed Ellen Page, who's actually kissing Elliot Page, who's a man. I know it's, it's a little confusing, but if you stick with this, you'll know. Twitter will not allow you to say the name Ellen Page. If you say Ellen Page, this is quote unquote dead naming. Dead naming is when you note that somebody has changed their name. So instead, we just kill the entire past and pretend that this person never existed and does not exist currently as a biological female. And if you note this, then you will be among the elect. So Dave Rubin put out a statement. He said, I've been suspended by Twitter for posting a screenshot of Jordan Peterson's tweet, which got him suspended. 
While it's unclear how I broke their terms of service, it's clear they are breaking their fiduciary responsibility to their shareholders by letting a bunch of woke activists run the company. I hope Elon Musk's purchase of Twitter goes through so he can blow up their servers and humanity can move past this pervasive, twisted, self-imposed mental institution. In the meantime, you can find me over at rubenreport.locals.com, the platform I created to fight big tech censorship, something we need now more than ever. But this is the perversity of big tech. Big tech will literally erase you from existence for having noticed that a person was erased from existence. You're not, it's, it's like the old photos of Stalin. So in the Soviet Union, they'd have photos of Stalin next to one of his best friends. And then like two years later, that best friend would end up being liquidated in the basement of Lubyanka. And then they would go back to the photo and they just airbrush the person out of existence. There are lots of Soviet photos like this. Ellen Page never existed. And if you remember Ellen Page, that's because it's a figment of your imagination. Understand, we're all under a collective delusion that a person named Ellen Page ever existed. It's just, it never happened. Elliot Page was the star of Juno. If I say it often enough, and if you believe it, and if you repeat it, this makes you a good person. Elliot Page, a man, was the star of Juno. Elliot Page, a man, was the star of Inception. Elliot Page, a man, was the star of the Umbrella Academy. Even in the first season, when Elliot Page was Ellen Page and was a woman who was straight in the series. That's it. All of it, it, it just, none of it existed. You, must, you will be forced by big tech to obey and repeat. Now, it's funny. I tweeted about this. I did not get banned. Why? Because the, the game that I played with Twitter is that I said something extraordinarily sarcastic and they can't ban me for it because Twitter's algorithms don't pick up sarcasm. <laughs> so that is the fortunate part. You know, you can actually play around with their stupid standards because their standards are unbelievably stupid, obviously. But the fact of the matter is that if you mention basically true things, it's a problem. Here's what I tweeted. Okay? They haven't banned me yet. So, you know, the day is young. Quote, Rubin Report has now been suspended for posting news about Jordan Peterson's suspension. All because we are not allowed to mention that until five minutes ago, Elliot Page, who is very, very, very male, was a female actress named Ellen Page. So we'll see if that gets me banned. By the way, if that gets me banned, there's literally no way to describe what actually happened here. So that, that of course, is their goal. You must not say true things. Never, ever, ever say true things on places like Twitter. And then they wonder why their credibility is shot. What's funny, however, is to watch people on the left run afoul of the insane woke left on this sort of stuff. So Bette Midler, who is just beloved of the left, right? Bette Midler, who's been on Broadway and she's, and she's been in movies for years and she, she's beloved of the LGBT plus minus divided by sign group. She ran afoul of them yesterday in one of the saddest twists in American political history. Get out your tiny violin. Here we go. She tweeted, quote, women of the world, all caps. We are being stripped of our rights over our bodies, our lives, and even of our name. They don't call us women anymore. They call us birthing people or menstruators and even people with vaginas. Don't let them erase you. Every human on earth owes you. Wow, Bette Midler, standing up for women. Well, of course, she's not allowed to do that. Silly Bette Midler. Yet a bunch of people on Twitter, ugh, not Bette Midler too, parroting right-wing transphobic false dilemmas. Well, no, it's not a false dilemma. I mean, when you say that women don't exist and men can be women, that, that sort of defeats the point of the term woman. People are tweeting, cis woman's insistence on not being called people is really fascinating. Also, stop comparing people using inclusive language to the bigots who are taking our rights away. Uh, amazing, amazing stuff. Then you had Wonder Woman, Linda Carter, signed into debate. So she has decided that she is going to become newly relevant by just repeating woke nostrums, even though she has not done anything of career note since like the 1970s. So she tweeted out on this topic as well, quote, I cannot think of anything that helps women's rights less than pinning the blame on trans women. They face so much violence and scrutiny as it is. 
Leave them alone and focus on the real war on women. It's happening in the courts and legislatures around this country. Now, erasing women as an actual existent part of the species, that's not a war on women. Saying that women should not kill their unborn children, that's the real war on women, according to the left. So, really, well done. The, the left has gone so far. They've gone so far around the horn that now they are attacking Bette Midler for the crime of noticing that women exist. Why, oh, why is the left losing the culture war. They are. This is the first time in my lifetime the left is losing the culture war. And the answer is they pushed so hard that eventually they had to drive a backlash. Well, the backlash is coming. It's going to form itself in November and it's going to be really, really ugly for Democrats as well as should be because they've pursued bad policy on every single front beyond the dissolution of all the social bonds that we used to rely upon to tie the country together. All right, we'll be back here later today with additional content. In the meantime, Go check out one of our newest podcasts, Morning Wire. Today's episode is available right now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure to tune in. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Help spread the word about The Ben Shapiro Show by giving us a five-star review and sharing the show with a friend. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to check out some of our other Daily Wire shows. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Bradford Carrington. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Supervising producer, Mathis Glover. Production manager, Pavel Wydowski. Associate producer, Savannah Dominguez-Morris. Editor, Adam Saievitz. Audio mixer, Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup artist and wardrobe, Fabiola Cristina. Production coordinator, Jessica Kranz. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2022. Hey there, this is John Bickley, Daily Wire editor-in-chief and co-host of Morning Wire. On today's episode, violence shakes the nation, a police-involved shooting in Ohio sparks protests, and the summer box office is back. Join us and get the facts first on the news you need to know with our show, Morning Wire. 